Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 through 13, talks about the chasing hand of God among the children of God. Sometimes God will chasten you through sickness or weakness and even death removes you before your time because you won't repent. You see? And here's what Paul's talking about at the communion table. This was happening. Welcome to Somebody Loves You Radio, the Bible teaching ministry of Raul Reese in Diamond Bar, California. It's good to have you with us today for our continuing verse-by-verse study of 1 Corinthians. Today, as Raul explores several doctrinal teachings from the Apostle Paul, he'll encourage you to see that God's rules for His people are grounded in perfect sovereignty and gracious love. Stay with us for insight into how the guidelines God established in Paul's day can still apply to your life. Let's listen as Raul Reese begins part two of the lesson, Church Order Understood. Join us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Paul is going to deal with an issue that we don't have to deal with today in the Corinthian church. We're in the city of Corinth. I've been there now. This is my second time being there. And when I went to Corinth, it was so incredible because I read so much about Corinth all my life. And there was actually a hill in the city of Corinth. And below it was a city that was established. In this hill, there used to be a temple up on top of this hill to one of the goddess of fertility. Aphrodite. And Aphrodite had 1,000 prostitutes that worked for her. And every night, the prostitutes would come out to the city. When the sailors would come in on their ships and they would seduce the sailors and they would seduce strangers and they would even seduce the Christians in the Corinthian church. Now, the amazing thing is that in that culture, Paul is going to talk in the next verse about this too, that they used to wear these head coverings and the whole thing behind the covering of the head, okay, which is the authority, And the veil is a difference where the prostitutes didn't wear any head coverings or any veils. They were very loose. But a married woman wore a veil because she was what? Only her husband could look at her beauty. For nobody else to last after her. Interesting. In that culture, that's what Paul's talking about. Now, some people have taken these verses And literally churches have actually had women wear these head coverings when they go to church. Paul's not talking about that. Nothing to do with that. He's talking about the culture that he's dealing with here. Look again what he says. He says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is men. The head is Christ God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Dishonors what? Authority. You see? Now, turn to the next verse. Look what he says. He says, verse 5, But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head on cover, dishonors her head. Who's her head? Her husband. 
her authority. For that is one and the same as if her head was shaven. Totally shaved. Prostitutes shaved their heads. Prostitutes that now wear a covering or a veil over their faces. But women that were married and women that loved their husbands and their family, they covered their heads and they wore a veil over their faces. This is what Paul is talking about here. So it's pretty cool how people take some of the scriptures and they make it something that is traditional, which is not at all in the Bible. Then he says this, verse 6. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be bald or shorn. But it is shameful for a woman to be actually shorn or shaved. Let her be covered. Why? Because of the prostitutes walking downtown. A wife would shave her head or cut her hair short or not wear a veil or a covering. What would say, hey, there was a prostitute. They would identify her as a prostitute. So that would be one way of keeping yourself from prostitution and people or men coming up to you and trying to seduce you. You see, so Paul's writing out all this thing concerning Corinthians. Verse 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is in the image of the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Notice the order. Okay? Notice the order. Who was first made? Created. Man, not woman. Woman was created from men. So here's the order. For men is not from woman, but woman is from men. And it doesn't mean that the woman is lesser than the men. That's not what he's talking about. In that culture, women were treated lower than a slave. That's why Paul is writing this. And Jesus Christ honors women and so does Paul. Because women are a great assistance to the church. They take care of children. They help out, not only in the nursery, they help out in the cafeteria, they cook, they clean, they do all kinds of neat things in helping and assisting the body of Christ. And at the same time, the only thing that a woman cannot do in the church, she can do just about anything except one thing, and that is women cannot teach men. That's it. They can do everything else. They can be missionaries, they can help in the nursery. They can teach children. They can teach girls. They can teach women, but they cannot teach men. That's the only thing the Bible forbids a woman. And that's found in First Timothy chapter 2 and chapter 3. Look again what he says, verse 9. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. This is how God created the woman to pursue after her husband. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority or a veil on her head because of the angels. What does he mean by that? To tell you the truth, I don't know. I looked up every commentary. But this is one of the things that someone said. He says that he's actually speaking in reference to the woman's authority to her husband wearing this veil that the angels, and this is true, that the angels are watching you in your example. That's what probably he says, but I don't know. I, I just throw that one out to you. Verse 11. Nevertheless, neither is a man independent of a woman nor a woman independent of the man in the Lord now look what he says I mean you know, men always try to be independent <laughs> seriously the woman not only was created for the man 
But at the same time, notice again what he says. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority over her husband because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man independent of the woman or the woman independent of the man in the Lord. Why? Because men and women need each other. God created you when you came to the altar and you were going to be married. You were two people. And remember when your husband was standing on this side and you were coming in with your father, they were bringing you in, you were wearing your veil. And this poor guy man was sweating and his knees were actually knocking. I told him, don't knock your knees because you'll pass out. And then when he saw you, and the pastor was up, he said, who gives this woman to be married to this man? He said, her mother and I, and the father kisses his daughter and gives them to this creep. (laughs) (laughs) And then they come together. What happens? All of a sudden, as they come together, there's no longer two people now. As they're walking up the stairs and they're coming up here, and I'm going to perform the ceremony. Now they're becoming one. Together. It's like taking two by fours. You glue them together. I'm not a carpenter, but I know something about it. You glue them together. And then you leave them pressed in. You clamp it. And you press it in. Leave it for a week. And then take the clamps off. And then try to set those sports apart. You can't do it. Oh, you can do it. If you put in a vise and take a hammer, a chisel, and try to split it, what is going to happen? The boards are going to split and they're going to be splintered. That's what happens in divorce. Why? Because what God has put together, the Norman put asunder, God glues us together to each other. Pretty incredible. Paul says it here again. Look what else he says. Verse 12. For as women came from men, even so men also came through the woman. Why? Because God created Adam. But what does the woman do? The woman has babies through the men. You see? For as a woman came from men, even so men also comes through women. But all things are from God. So here it is. God is the one that does everything. Verse 13. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Now here again, the covering. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? Now, this was the problem in the hippie days. Because of all the long hair at Calvary Chapel. And anytime we would travel to other part of the United States, we'd get on the radio, and the first thing they would ask you, they would say, how can you allow men with long hair in your church. And then I would ask the question, how long is long? Because he doesn't say anything. He says, the Bible teaches against long hair. It does not. Did you read what he said there? Doesn't even nature, not God, not the Bible. Because what happens is we get into a position where we start condemning people. And we start setting up the rules and regulations. And this was a major problem with the hippies, man. They had long hair. They didn't wear shoes. Sometimes they'd be sitting at Calvary Chapel with their feet up and their toes in the communion cup things, you know, holders. People would get all upset. And the board of Calvary Chapel got so upset because they laid on the carpet and they went to Chuck and say, Chuck, man, these hippies are coming with their dirty feet and they're dirtying the carpet. Man, we got to do something about it. And Chuck said, let's take the carpet out. Why? Because we can't keep people from coming to church, whether they have short hair or long hair or whatever they have. This is Somebody Loves You Radio with Raul Reese. For more resources, call 800-634-9165 or visit somebodylovesyou.com. 
At the end of today's program, we'll tell you about an audio study exploring the blessings and empowerment of walking closely with God in righteous obedience. Now back to more with Raul Reese in the lesson, Church Order Understood. Then verse 15. But if a woman has long hair, notice this. I mean, there was a time where women were actually shaving their hair and cutting their hair like men. And there's nothing wrong with short hair. Some women look good with short hair. And then what he's saying here is that the, the hair of the woman is what? It is the glory of her. It's her glory. It is as glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. That's her authority. You see? Her hair. But if anyone seems to be contagious, you know, somebody's argumentative. We have no such customs, nor do with churches of God. Hey, this was tradition, but it's not in the Bible. You see? It doesn't keep you from God if you have long hair, short hair, or you wear a veil or a head covering. That has nothing to do with it. So Paul wants to correct that. Then, the second issue, which is a little bit real tight here. Is the selfishness of the people in that time when they were coming to the love feast. Okay? Now, let me explain to you that. They used to have potlucks. And what happened is that the rich and the poor and the slaves would come to these potlucks. And probably that was the only meal they could ever get. Christians. And it was a good thing that started way back in the book of Acts. But then what happened is that the rich began to become a little bit greedy. And what they did is they started having these luffies or these potlucks. And they started eating and they started drinking, neglecting the poor, shaming them. And they started getting drunk and they started having these drunken parties. And then what happened to the true love feast? It was totally erased. So Paul here is exhorting concerning these things. Verse 17. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. He's actually rebuking them. For the first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are schisms or divisions among you. In part, I believe it. Remember at the beginning of chapter 1? He talks about the divisions. Well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, or I'm of this guy and that guy. Is Christ divided? No, we can't do that. There were problems in the church where people were divisive. They were trying to divide. And Paul says we should not do that. Now look what he says here. Verse 19. For there must be also factions among you. For those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place. In the church or in a home. Because they used to be in homes. Look what he says. It is not to eat the Lord's Supper. You see? You're not coming there to take advantage of the people so you can stuff your stomach and live off the people at the potluck. For in eating, each one, notice, takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another one is drunk. Now, have you ever been to a potluck? And uh, you say, okay, you guys, dinner's ready, line up. And you see guys line up. And the first or two or three or four guys in the front of the line they fill their plate to the top. Not thinking of who? Others. That's what Paul's talking about. You see? Don't take advantage when you're invited to a potluck. Not only that, they were not only taking advantage of that, but they were also drinking and getting drunk. And there were problems. So that's why Paul says, for in eating, 
Each one takes his own supper ahead of the others, and one is hungry and another one is drunk. They would leave him without food, because the first guy took it all. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? Speaking of the poor. What I say to you, shall I praise you on this? No, I don't praise you. I rebuke you. Paul says, it's a shame that you're doing that. Why? Because you're leaving people without eating. And you're not following what a lafis is supposed to be. It's a time of gathering together as believers, eating together, communing together, and then singing and praising and worshiping God. But they just started becoming wild parties. Here's now the third issue, the Lord's Supper now. Verse 23. And I love this. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. Isn't that interesting? Hey, listen. If I am going to partake of God and give to you what God has given to me, I have to spend time with God first. That's really important. I cannot give to you that which I have not received first from the Lord. And that's what he's using at the beginning of the communion table. For He says, For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you. Everything I've been telling you, it's the word of God. You see? It's not tradition. It's not tradition. It's the word of God. That the Lord Jesus Christ on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread. Remember the upper room? Judas already betrayed him. He left to go and get betrayal for $20. The Lord Jesus Christ, 600 men with swords and torches would come to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus Christ. Judas is out. Now the disciples are there. They take the bread. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he prayed. Then he broke it and he said, Take heed, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now you notice what communion is. The cup and the bread is something that we do symbolically, spiritual, not physical. When he talks about my body being broken, we know when we read the scriptures that not one bone was broken in his body according to Isaiah 53. Then what is he talking about here? He's actually referring here probably to the scorching. Remember the 39 strikes, what happened? It broke his back. You see, it opened him up physically. He was bleeding. Because not one of his bones was ever broken. So when we break the bread, what are we doing? We are reminding ourselves of his suffering. That he went for us to the cross. When they scorched him. And they beat him. That's why when we come to the communion table. We have to number one, be true believers. Number two, we need to take an examination of our hearts to make sure that when we take the cup and the bread is not in an unworthy fashion. He'll talk to you about that in a moment. But we're doing this unto the Lord and that our hearts and our minds are right before the Lord. Otherwise, don't take communion. You say, well, why? Well, let's read a little further. Verse 25. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying... This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it. In what? In remembrance of me. Notice that. In remembrance of Jesus. For as often 
As you eat this bread and you drink this cup, what are we doing? You're proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes again. That's what we do. You see? That's the ordinance. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is a heavy warning. What does he mean by that? Well, everything we have is what? By the grace of God. And when we do it, we do it by faith in Jesus Christ. When we partake of communion. He literally here is talking concerning making sure that we are worthy, what? To partake of the cup. That we have confessed all of our sins. And that we are going to live for Jesus Christ. Why? Because he says this, verse 28. Look. Let a man examine himself and so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner is eating and drinking judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Notice what he says. You're bringing judgment to yourself. And you say, well, what kind of judgment is that? Look at the next verse. Verse 30. For this reason, many are Weak and many are sick among you, and many have died. Pretty heavy. He says there are people in the church. He's not saying that every illness is because your heart's not right before God. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about that it's very possible that many times if Christians are not living right and they're coming to the communion table and you're taking unworthy the communion table, it could cause you to become weak and sick and you could even die. That's what he's talking about. It happened in the early church. Does it happen today? Well, I believe it does. Hey, I need to be careful when I partake of the cup and the bread before Jesus Christ. He says this. This is important. Verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves. Now if you take time to judge yourself. You know who you are. You know what you're doing. No matter what anybody else says. You can do whatever you want to do. Watch what he says. He says, for if we would judge ourselves we then would not be judged. No judgment. But when we are judged, we are what? Chastened by the Lord. You know what he says there? He says that when we are judged by the Lord, what does the Lord do? Because he's my father, I'm his son. What does a father do to his son when he's bad? Spanks him. He disciplines you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 through 13, talks about the chasing in the hand of God among the children of God. Sometimes God will chasing you through sickness or weakness and even death removes you before your time because you won't repent. You see? And here's what Paul's talking about at the communion table. This was happening. Look what else he says. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together... To eat, wait for one another. Don't be a pig. (laughs) Notice that. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. Notice what he says. 
You come for judgment. And the rest I, Paul, will set in order when I come. We hope you've been encouraged by today's reminder that the Lord wants to structure and guide your life, not out of a need to micromanage, but out of His infinite understanding and love. You're listening to Somebody Loves You Radio with Raul Reese. To review the lesson you've heard today, call us at 800-634-9165, and we'll send you an unedited copy for a donation of $5 or more. When you get in touch with us, mention today's title, Church Order Understood. Now, for more inspiration to entrust yourself to God's sovereignty, we'd like to tell you about Rawls' four-part audio pack titled, Walking Righteously. As you learn how to follow the Lord's direction and submit to His will, you'll see that the path of surrender leads to rich abundance and blessing. To purchase Rawls' four-message series titled, Walking Righteously, visit us online at somebodylovesyou.com or call 800-634-9165 and we'll send you this audio pack for a donation of $19 or more. Our number once again is 800-634-9165. Or if you'd like, you can write us at Somebody Loves You Radio, P.O. Box 4440, Diamond Bar, California, 91765. This is a listener-supported ministry. Your tax-deductible gifts equip us to share God's truth through these broadcasts, and we are grateful for your partnership. Tune in again next time for our continuing study of 1 Corinthians. We'll take a look at how to maximize our spiritual gifts, not using them for our own glory, but exercising them in acts of love and service for the building of God's kingdom. This program is sponsored by Somebody Loves You Radio in Diamond Bar, California.